0: Al Jazeera podcast.
1: Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI, and I've inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows. An audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. Relatives of Israeli captives held by Hamas have reacted with fury at a meeting with the Prime Minister and the War Cabinet about the relentless bombing of Gaza, where their loved ones are trapped. Some are demanding Benjamin Netanyahu step down. What do people in Israel think? I'm Eve Barker? And you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. So let's bring in our guests. In the Israeli town of Pardes Hanna is Udi Goren, a cousin of one of the captives detained in Gaza, who has taken part in the Bring Them Home Now campaigns. In West Jerusalem is Gershon Baskin, a former hostage negotiator and founder of the Israel-Palestine Centre for Research and Information. That's a joint public policy think tank. And in Tel Aviv is Akiva Elder, a political analyst, veteran journalist and author of Lords of the Land, the war over Israel's settlements in the occupied territories. A warm welcome to all of you. Udi, if I can start by with you. Of course, we appreciate the, the huge... Uh, amount of anguish this has caused for the likes of you and other families who have been affected by the captive situation. Those captives, of course, held in in Gaza. Can I start by asking you what it was like to find out that your cousin had been kidnapped and indeed taken to Gaza?
0: Yeah, um, it was a complete shock. It's, you know, it's, it's something that's so far removed from our world that it's something you hear that happens in, you know, in, in developing countries and in, in places that are not considered like we consider ourselves, you know, a Western safe sovereign democracy. Um, and it's just a situation that's, that's completely taken everyone out of balance to have, you know, your cousin, not detained, being kept prisoner He's a civilian being held hostage. It's unimaginable. To, to this very day, it's, it's unimaginable.
1: And Akiva, if I can bring you in, in your view, how receptive has the Netanyahu war cabinet been in responding to the demands that have been growing by the day in Israel to secure the release of these captives?
2: Well, Neva, I, I think that it depends uh, which uh, network they watch and uh, which uh, newspaper they read. Uh, Netanyahu is very busy these days. Actually, his uh, trial has just resumed and um, he thinks about his own future. And this is the context that you have to put into your question. Um, they are very careful to meet the uh, families but at the same time They haven't got anything to offer them, like in this meeting yesterday. uh, They want to have it both ways. They say, well, uh, we will not stop until we wipe the Hamas off the uh, face of the earth, but at the same time, we will do everything to bring the people back. They know, Netanyahu and Gallant, the Minister of Defense, that they are responsible, personally, because it's not just people who were uh, lost in a war or uh, they were taken hostage in a war. It's a blunder. It's a huge blunder, and the blood of 1,200 people is on their hands and the future and the whereabouts of now about 200 civilians and soldiers that uh, we know very little about what's happening to them right
1: now while we talk. And Gershon, just responding to something that Akiva mentioned there, this uh, final meeting that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu granted to some of the family members of those held in Gaza, that was on Tuesday, in which he reportedly said it's currently not possible right now to bring them all back at once. From a negotiating perspective, what does it mean for the families to hear a message like that coming from the Prime Minister?
3: Right. First of all, I think it's important to note that it's probably the first time the prime minister told the truth, because the price that Hamas is demanding for bringing all the pris- all the hostages home is a price that the government of Israel, the army, the people of Israel, I sense, are not willing to pay at this time. It's a double price. One is freeing some uh, 7,600 Palestinian prisoners, including 559 of them serving life sentences for killing Israelis, another 130 of the terrorists who were caught in Israel on October 7th. But Hamas is also requiring a cessation of the war, meaning that they would emerge from the tunnels and their bunkers, being victorious. And this is a price that Israel is not willing to pay. So it seems very correct, because the only way of bringing all the hostages home is through a negotiated agreement with Hamas. Otherwise, it's going to have to rely either on a partial agreement or on military operations
1: aimed at search and rescue, which are very dangerous. Right. We'll get on to talking about the prospects of a negotiated solution to all of this. But first, Udi, can I ask you, from what you've heard of the experiences of people who have been released from Gaza, what concerns you the most about their experiences?
0: What really concerns us all is that they might share the same fate as their captives because we now know that they're affected by the Israeli bombings, even though we know a hundred percent that the military is not gonna strike anywhere they think there might be a hostage, and yet they don't know everything. So we know they're affected by it. We know that they're not only might be injured by it, but it also scares them to death, as they don't really know what's happening around them. They could be taken anywhere. They have been moved around. And aside from that, the, you know, the, the daily life, the, it's, they're not on vacation. They're, some of them have been tormented. Uh, there's no food in the Gaza Strip for everyone, let alone for them. And uh, the the living conditions are dire. Those who were held in the tunnels suffered tremendously from the health risks that you can imagine there are in staying in a damp uh, tunnel with no air, no proper ventilation, with unbelievable humidity. Um, and every day to pass right. it is just further risk to their lives, to their actual survival.
1: Uh, Gershon, in response to that, whichever way you want to rotate this, whatever happened on October the 7th has to be classed as an absolute failure of Israeli intelligence, military intelligence, given the amount of money, international money, particularly from the United States, that's poured into propping up the Israeli armed forces. Reports also of a number of Israelis were killed by the Israeli military itself. How much confidence is there in Israel? about this current bombing campaign in Gaza when it comes to securing something resembling a lasting peace?
3: Uh, UNFORTUNATELY, I THINK THAT TOO MANY ISRAELIS BELIEVE THE ISRAELI GOVERNMENT, THE SPOKESPEOPLE, THE ARMY MILITARY PEOPLE, THE MINISTER OF DEFENSE AND THE PRIME MINISTER, WHEN THEY SAY THAT THIS BOMBING, THE RENEWAL OF THE WAR, WILL CREATE MORE PRESSURE ON HAMAS IN ORDER TO RELEASE THE HOSTAGES, WHERE IT COULD ACTUALLY BE THE QUITE OPPOSITE. WE DON'T KNOW. EVERYONE IS GUESSING. IT IS A GUESSING GAME OF MILITARY PEOPLE AGAINST OTHER PEOPLE LIKE MYSELF WHO who DON'T BUY THIS LINE THAT THE MILITARY PRESSURE INCREASES THE chance of releasing the hostages. I think it might actually be the the quite opposite and it might actually lead to the death of too many of these hostages.
1: And Udi, I mean, the majority of of UN members, even the United States, are now showing a degree of of disquiet about, about the war that's currently being waged in Gaza. With this in mind, how receptive do you think the Israeli government is to public international criticism of what's happening?
0: I think I would largely agree with uh, what Gershon has said. Um, I think that the the general public opinion—and it's also reflected by the government—is that, aside from the fact that, uh, you know, we suffered such a tremendous loss and loss of faith in on October 7th, but people in Israel are really scared. They are scared, and they're demanding the government to persist. And I don't think everybody realizes the repercussions that we're, we're, uh, we're discussing right now, that these two targets do not go together. And the, one of the messages we're trying to convey is that we think that in order to move forward, Israel must deal with the Western border and the safety of its uh, civilians. And absolutely something must change in this regional order. But with this objective in mind, and when you have another objective that's rescuing 136 lives, one is time sensitive, and the other one would definitely take months, at least months, to do. So the, the priority between the two must be clear when there are civilians' lives on the line that mm. every day may be their last. Right,
1: I can see you all nodding your heads to what uh, Udi has just said. Uh, Gershon, if I can ask you this, what happens to this pervading sense of righteous indignation when it comes to perpetuating this conflict to reach its ultimate game of destroying Hamas? That, of course, is what Netanyahu wants to do.
3: I think that the fact that Israel faced the biggest trauma in its history—in fact, the biggest trauma of the Jewish people since the Holocaust—impacts directly on the decision-making of the government, the army, and with the support of the people. The overriding objective of the war to dismantle Hamas's ability to either govern and control the territory of Gaza, again, seems to me to be overriding. The desire of the public to bring the hostages home. There was a brief period during the time when the hostages were coming home, when there was a ceasefire, that it seemed that that was the number one priority. But when The torture of every night watching whether or not Hamas was going to release these people and the humiliation that they went through as they were being released created the mood once again in the country where the war war objective seems to be once again overriding, unfortunately, for the lives of the hostages and their families who are continuing to go through this torture
1: every day. Uh, Akiva, your, your thoughts on that. Where this sense of righteous indignation currently stands in Israel?
2: Well, I I believe that uh, we have to put it—and this is uh, where the Americans are putting this uh, in in a broader context—israel has also to offer the uh, facilitators of uh, a possible deal, uh, primarily Qatar, Egypt, and the United States, how Israel sees the day after. Uh, Hamas, of course, is now under great pressure. They have— Thousands
1: of uh, fatalities and. Uh, uh, Akiva, let me let me ask you this: because how Israel perceives the so-called day after also is impacted on how Israel sees the Palestinians going forward as well. Is there much sympathy towards the plight of Palestinians in Gaza and indeed the West Bank since October the seventh? Given, of course, the high civilian death toll in Gaza and, of course, the thousands of Palestinians that con- continue to be detained in the West Bank.
2: It's a very good question that uh, if you put it forward to Prime Minister Netanyahu, he will tell you it's not the time to deal with it, as well as with the series of blunders in the war. Uh, But the United States, I understand, insists on getting much clearer answers, because uh, this, today, uh, is the 61st day since uh, the uh, terrible incident in uh, uh in around gaza but the the americans and the qataris who are deeply involved in the negotiations for the deal that will bring the uh captives back home they also need to know right. how israel sees the the end game and uh, the israeli public needs to know that because the, right. the deal to get up now the captives is part of a comprehensive settlement that will bring also about half a million soldiers back home. Mm. And you, you need to understand, every Israeli family knows someone who was either killed or kidnapped on October 7th. So everybody is personally... Right. Let,
1: let, let's take a look at the negotiating process in a bit more detail. Gershon, returning to that, I mean, because for seven days it seemed like the process was working, didn't it? Uh, until, of course, it rapidly collapsed. Israel blames Hamas for not handing over military captives. Hamas, as it wants to increase the number of its prisoners, released in return for widening the category of captives release. Of course, there is a precedent for this. You were involved in it directly in the exchange of Gelad Shalit, the Israeli soldier, who was held for five years by Hamas. And he was exchange- for for 1,027 Palestinians. Why are swaps on this scale, or indeed all-for-all all swaps, apparently out of the question right now?
3: Well, I think that the negotiations didn't break down over the new demands of Hamas for a larger number of prisoners to be released. I think that is doable, and I think the Israelis will have no choice but to agree to that. What I understand is the main problem is that there remains 14 or 15 young women between the age of 20 and 30 who remain as hostages in Gaza, and they were the ones that Israel wanted to bring out. And according to what the intelligence has been telling us, they've undergone abusive attacks and rapes, sexual abuse— BY THEIR CAPTORS, AND THE CAPTORS, THE HAMAS, NO LONGER WANT TO RELEASE THEM BECAUSE OF THE STORIES THAT THEY WILL HAVE TO TELL. THIS IS WHAT WE UNDERSTAND IS THE REASON. AND IF THIS IS right. THE CASE, THIS IS BEYOND SOMETHING THAT ISRAEL IS CAPABLE OF NEGOTIATING ON. Right. THERE WILL BE ANOTHER DEAL MADE. I BELIEVE THERE IS A CHANCE FOR IT TO RELEASE THE ELDERLY, THE right. YOUNG, the, THE PEOPLE WHO ARE NOT SOLDIERS, THE SICK AND THE WOUNDED. AND ISRAEL release HUNDREDS OF MAYBE THOUSANDS OF PRISONERS IN EXCHANGE FOR THEM. BUT THIS STORY OF THE YOUNG WOMEN IS VERY, VERY painful and if it's true, it's horrendous.
1: Right. As far as we, as we are aware, Gershon, that is now subject to a UN investigation looking to allegations of war crimes on, on both sides yeah, of the know divide. I
3: not they because they have no access.
1: Right. Okay. It, it, the International Cross. Right. It, it, it has also been uh, denied uh, by uh, Hamas. Uh, um, we no need no to obviously apply a degree of Hamas healthy scepticism. But... Okay, well, right, but look- there's
3: no reason for us to believe Hamas in its denial. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever. We know that there was mass raping that took place at the music festival in, in Ra'im on the day that the massacre of 370 young Israelis took place there as well.
1: Right, well, I hope, uh, given the circumstances and investigation, if given access, if given more information, is able to independently verify this. Udi, uh, if I could ask you this, what the perception would be uh, for Israelis, for there to be a much wider, much broader number of Palestinians released, if that meant the possibility of all the captives in Gaza also being freed?
0: I think that it would would spark a huge discussion in Israel, but overall we know that there is a very large support in the public and and awareness that this would have to be the price of uh, the return of the hostages. There are more people that are for it than against it, and of course this is something that would have to be communicated well by the government, let alone, mm-hmm. the, you know, that it, we are now living through this trauma mm-hmm. of Iche Sinwar, which is the one that initiated this attack and was one of the people released right. on the Gil'ad, Shalit, um, or the Gilad Shalit deal, and yet Israel has ways to not only to communicate and make this happen, but also to be much smarter about just, the just, way... Just, just, to remind our
1: viewers, just to remind our viewers, Yaya Sinwar, now perhaps one of the most wanted um, Hamas uh, figures in Gaza at the moment, who was released as part of the swap with Gilad uh, Shalit. Um, Akiva, if I could bring you in on this, because however you look at this, it looks as if the fate of Israelis, the fate of Palestinians on both sides are inextricably linked. There is no way you can solve one situation without resolving the other.
2: Yes, and uh, I I believe that uh, both sides are looking for an opportunity to raise a flag, uh, even if it's a white flag. Uh, But at the same time, they need the victory image or the victory footage. And as you mentioned, the. Uh, capturing uh sinwa or making him raise a white flag can bring an end to uh, the tragedy on both sides. So, so do, you, can do, you see that,
1: do you see that as uh, being regarded as a strategic victory for, for Netanyahu to be able to claim if he is able to locate Yaya Sinwar? Would that be enough?
2: Well, strategic victory is putting an end to the conflict and uh, promoting a two-state solution, negotiated solution. I, I think that this is a kind of a media victory for Netanyahu and maybe for Hamas. Everybody needs to be able mm. to declare victory after so many fatalities and uh, such a big damage to uh, Gaza and to the Israeli economy and prestige. Right.
1: So, yes... uh, (laughs) Gentlemen, as as we approach the end of the programme, I I want you to give us, if possible, a brief final thought on perhaps what needs to be said to the Israeli war cabinet that isn't perhaps being heard loudly enough at the moment. If I could start with you, Akiva. Uh,
2: I think that uh, the, the Israeli cabinet is in a big dilemma. Actually, I don't envy them. Uh, It's doomed if you do, it's doomed if you don't. The expectations of the average Israeli in the street is uh, to get the captives back, but that it will not happen to us again. And I don't think that anybody, there is no Israeli politician, uh, academic, or journalist that can guarantee. uh, Hmm. Even, you know, somebody was suggesting to Paul Water to pump water from the sea and uh, and pour it into the tunnels. But what the captives are there. So uh, I don't see any easy solution.
3: Right, no easy
1: solution. Uh, Gershon, if I can bring you in, we're in the closing uh, couple of minutes. Gershon, very briefly. Right. Well, I'll tell you what I told members of the War Cabinet.
3: They have to make an offer to Hamas that they can't refuse. And what I mean by that is that we need to make an offer to bring home at least all the civilian hostages, the women who are left there, the elderly, the sick and the wounded, at least those. And that's more than half
1: of the hostages. And they have to be willing to tell Hamas what
3: they're willing to give, which is a
1: large number of prisoners in exchange. Okay. Thank you. Udi, last few seconds.
0: Think outside the box. Israel is renowned for making things happen in face okay. of adversity and in the face of situations right. that are impossible. So I think outside the that box. Bring all of them back home.
1: Okay. Well, thank you all uh, for your thoughts throughout this discussion. Thanks to all our guests: Udi Gurin, uh, Gershon Baskin, and Ikiva Eldam. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Fintan Monahan, Veronica Pedrosa and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Fadzil Yahya. The programme was edited by Anirban Sarkar, Zainabada, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next edition.
3: Coming up on The Take, how Israel's changing war policies and the use of AI have resulted in a staggering number of civilian deaths in Gaza. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.